0: This podcast is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, award-winning wealth managers who go above and beyond to support and guide you. Visit candowealth.com to start building your wealth with confidence.
1: Hello and welcome to a special Saturday edition of Coffeehouse Shots. I'm Katie Balls and I'm joined by James Forsyth and Kate Andrews. How bad will inflation get? In an interview this week, the Bank of England's new chief economist has warned that inflation is likely to rise close to or even slightly above 5%. Kate, to kick things off as our economics editor, you've written about the inflationary tiger. It's um, adorned the cover of The Spectator a few times. Are these warnings that you've been writing about for some time, the Chancellor's been talking about for some time, starting to come to fruition?
2: Yes. So the fear that the Chancellor has had for... Many months now, and what I think is one of the best frames to view his March budget, and we will soon be also analyzing his October budget next week, is that even a historically small rise in inflation and rates could lead to having to find tens of billions of pounds extra, additional, just to service the debt. Now, you know, the Treasury estimates that a a 1% rise in inflation and rates could lead to having to find 25 billion pounds extra just to pay the bills. And to be clear, this money wouldn't get you new hospitals, it wouldn't get you more nurses, it wouldn't get you extra police out on the beat. It would be to service the debt, the money that we've already borrowed. That's not politically desirable and could put the finances in an even more difficult state. What we're now seeing is inflation going up. There was a little bit of hope this week that we saw that the most recent CPI figures were 3.1% down from 3.2%, but that's more of a technical issue than it is a real change because we're comparing to last year when you had eat out to help out, which really boosted the restaurant industry. So, you know, the collapse that you're seeing, seeing there's is, is more of a technical point. And yesterday we had Hugh Pill, the new chief economist of the Bank of England, coming out and saying that he thinks that inflation could go as high as 5%, that's roughly 1 percentage point higher than the Bank of England's current forecast, which is that it will peak just over 4%. Historically speaking, these are not huge figures. I mean, if you go back to the 1970s, you'd be talking about something closer to 20%, but the difficulty is that the debt is sky-high. We're in a much more vulnerable position now. And the Chancellor, even if he does have a of extra fiscal headroom in the upcoming budget will be nervous to spend it or to dedicate it to anything but preparing for having to um, hike uh, the amount of money that it's going to take to service the debt.
0: I think mean, there's the Hugh Pillar interview is very interesting. He is regarded as an inflation hawk, and I think it's another sign of the Bank of England's change in language. You know, he says a rate rise in November is now a live discussion. And you know, that follows on from some of the, the Andrew Bailey comments, which have got the markets very excited, expecting interest rate rises. I think that, you know, the Bank of England, you could say, has consistently underestimated how high inflation would go and how long it would last for. You
2: could definitely say that. Um, they have. <laughs>
0: and I think it's interesting that in this interview, Hugh Bill is basically still saying that he thinks it's transitory but transitory for a longer time which raises an interesting question (laughs) about how long it's remain transitory for but i thought thought what was interesting was he is explicit in this fd interview that even transitory inflation he thinks could require an interest rate response because it is so above target i think that is significant now i think that the risk that the three of us could descend into to group things so when i wrote a piece recently about inflation about how high it could go and the worries about it. A very distinguished economist replied to me saying that he thought I was I was wrong. So I said, why? And, he, and, and their argument, interestingly, is that Evergrande, the Chinese property firm, is, is so going to depress the Chinese economy and Chinese demand that inflation will actually fall back to lower levels because you essentially reduce Chinese demand. The global effects of that are, are such that, that you don't have very high inflation. But I, I still think, though, when you look at the amount of money swilling around the system because of all the stimulus measures taken during COVID, we don't know the precise size of it yet, but how much money Congress is likely to vote through. And you look at the inflationary pressures that are being caused by these supply chain crunches. Now, these supply chain crunches, there are very serious logistics people who think these supply chain crunches will carry on into 2023, right? Now, we are in 2021 now. If that is right... I fail to see how that isn't inflationary. We're already seeing that you know you talk to people involved in in the ports industry. One of the problems they say is that firms are responding this is when to invert the phrase private virtues become public vices. So companies are responding to reports of supply chain crunches by ordering more of a kit than they otherwise would in the belief that this will keep them going throughout a longer period of time. They're also prepared to pay a higher price for that. That is exacerbating the supply chain countries and also will push on inflation. It's very interesting that even this Biden administration plan to get the Port of LA working 24-7 doesn't seem to be having a huge effect. And part of the problem is, things that I didn't realise, is that these people who move things around the port, they're, they're only paid once they're given a container to move. And they basically have worked out that they're now waiting hours to get a container to move and they're not inclined to basically give free labour. And so when you consider all of these factors going on, I think it is likely that this inflation will, will last for longer in the system at an elevated level. And I think that what Hugh Pill is clearly indicating in this interview is that you know he feels that the bank should raise rates in response. Now he is still talking about only going to the pre COVID rate of 0.75, right? And I think if that is the case, I think the, you know, the effects in terms of how the public feel it will be relatively low. But I think anything much higher than that, people will really begin to start feeling it. Because you know, with mortgage owners, there's been a decade where the bank rate has been below 1%. As soon as that goes above 1%, I think a lot of people will, will begin to notice it.
1: Kate. Okay. Last year, I do remember hearing about low for long, the sense amongst you know, certain ministers that you know, actually low interest rates were here to stay. And again, almost a little flavour of what we heard from the Prime Minister at Tory conference when he was talking about how he didn't believe these inflation warnings. Do you think people are going to have to start coming around to the fact that isn't the case?
2: So I think... Multiple things can be true at the same time. You can say that interest rates are still low, as James points out, if the bank does vote to bring them up to, say, 05 or 0.75%. We're still talking about historically very low interest rates. The difference is that even a small change now makes us significantly more vulnerable. And I think where a lot of people have gotten it wrong is, you know, if we go back to sort of January, February this year, there was economic consensus from the left to the right, as you say, Katie, that low interest rates were here to stay, Inflation wasn't going to be a problem. If we think back on it, it's it's pretty shocking in the sense that you could not have possibly believed that turning the world's economy off and on again would have zero impact on inflationary pressure. Yet that really was the consensus. Now, thankfully, in the UK, one of the only people that didn't buy into that consensus was the chancellor, pretty influential person. Another person who didn't was the outgoing chief economist of the Bank of England, Andy Haldane. And he did an interview with The Spectator over the summer where he was quite blunt, saying that it's time for the Bank of England to remove the punch bowl from the party because we're getting too addicted to cheap money, we're getting too addicted to this idea that nothing will change. And it's interesting that he was replaced with Hugh Pill, who's also thought, as James says, to be a bit of an inflation hawk. Something I, I really picked out of this interview he did with the FT is he says, if you want excitement, you should be looking at interest rates. And as James was hinting at, we are now moving into a new era. We were in the era of money printing, low rates, cheap, easy money. And it's clear that almost regardless of what happens, if inflation is transitory, if it does start to go down significantly next year, even if interest rates don't fly off the scale, the bank is thinking differently. It's not thinking about how it's going to pump loads of money into the real economy anymore. It's thinking about how it's going to tame inflation. Because as Pill says, if you get to 5%, even temporarily, that's really bad news for a Bank of England whose target is 2%. Something is going wrong. This has real political implications. You know, we're starting Starting to see the fight again in the UK about COVID restrictions and COVID measures. If some kind of restriction were to come back, it will go hand in hand almost certainly with demands for more stimulus, more support from the Treasury. The Bank of England, I mean, it's not this explicit yet, but if you want to read into it, there's a bit of a signal now that the Bank of England may not be there to make sure that there's always money to spend in the coming months and years because of these inflationary pressures. And I think, you know, it really is a very, very difficult thing to predict. I don't envy the Bank of England having to do it and having to own up to the fact that in many places it's gotten it wrong. But what I still do find so surprising is there was this overwhelming consensus that we would just not have to worry about this ever again, as if we were living in some kind of new economic model, and as if all the old rules didn't apply. I think the fears and the worries and the changes we're seeing now remind us that, oh no, actually, the principles haven't changed. And as Friedrich Hayek once said, once the inflation cat is out of the bag, it's very difficult to put it back in, which is why the bank is getting much more serious about this.
0: I think whenever you hear people say, this time it's different, you should be very skeptical. Right. That <laughs> normally means that some economic disaster is about to come. Because it's not down different. Track. <laughs> so that is a kind of worthwhile, worthwhile But we were in
2: that phase, weren't we? Yeah, I, I mean, there, everyone, not everyone, but a lot of people, and it really didn't come down to political allegiance either, were saying, this time it's different.
0: Yeah. I think there's a very, very interesting question coming about, I also think that the Bank of England felt it could do a lot of a QE that it, it did during COVID because it felt that it's sufficiently independent that it could, mm-hmm. it could demonstrate this. But I think there is also the bank is going to want to get away from monetary policy being, being, monetary policy in the UK since 2008 has been essentially the major policy lever used. I mean, there are real questions about how healthy that is, because, you know, the Bank of England is an independent body. It is not elected. It is not democratically accountable. Indeed, the bank gets very upset if anyone tries to hold it to account. When a House of Lords Economic Affairs Committee talked about the bank being addicted to QE, the bank bank did not take it very well at all. And I think it would be better if we moved away from using monetary policy as the major economic lever, because I think it brings with it lots of complications. And however much the bank doesn't want to get involved in politics, if it is the major policy tool being used, that does bring it into the political sphere, however much its decisions are not party political.
1: Thank you James, thank you Kate and thank you for listening and while we have you here, if you fancy after this podcast reliving Brexit, the highs and lows but with a front row seat on what it's like to try and force a Brexit deal get agreement for a Brexit deal through a divided house of commons, do check out the latest episode of Women With Balls where I speak to Nikki Costa, the former number 10 head of legislative affairs just go to www.spectator.co.uk forward slash balls